Guys, welcome to the Work for Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. I'm here with the the man, B Cone Knives. This oh, is Work for This is not, that wasn't any good. That wasn't. No, it's it's great. It sounds great, man. I appreciate All right, let it. Me keep going. Let me keep going. Let me keep going. This is WFI two, ladies and germs. And if it wasn't for these two sponsors and the lovely people at Patreon, there would be no WFI project. WFI two project. Okay, listen, guys. Number one is we got to thank our sponsor. Maritime Knife Supply, that's MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca or MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. For all your knife-making needs, belts, braces, primers, steels, kilns, forges, presses, heat-treating ovens, anvils, anything you need to get started or resupplied, they're with you. They're in Canada, but they ship to the United States. I don't know how. Don't ask. It's not my problem. That's not my, my thing to ask. They send it as fast as you get it anywhere else. And if you go to MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, you get yourself some of their abrasive belt packs. 10% off on a pack of 10. All the stuff you're going to need, you what the TR Maker stuff, Dr. Laren Thomas's must-have book knife engineering, all that stuff. Go get yourself some of that Maritime Knife Supply and know that you're dealing with a company that is a knife maker. Lawrence Lake is a knife maker. And if you need something, you're up in Canada and you say, listen, they got something down in the United States. We need to get it up here in Canada. Give, them, give old Lawrence Lake a call and he'll get you squared away. So MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. All right. Number two is... God damn, Baker Forge and Tool. I don't know how you do it. Baker Forge and Tool makes the most amazing exotic steels on the marketplace in, in consist, with consistency. Coy Baker's been making, he's developed his own technique for fusion welding copper directly on a carbon steel, <coughs> pardon me, without the aid of pure nickel, a method previously completely unknown to modern smiths. He's figured out how to make copper mascus. Uh, there's a there's a core material heart of carbon steel. You have a layer of co copper or a layer of bronze, and then you have mosaic pattern Damascus or pattern welded steel or Damascus on the outside, and it's easy to work with. And if you go to BakerForge.com, put in the promo code Full Blast, hey. or <laughs> put in the promo code, you get ten percent off. And you get ten percent off of that steel. You get yourself some of that. You get some of that copper mascus, and you you, talk, you, sh you want to talk about getting your getting your customers all horned up. You get that ten percent off. That's what's so bad about that. And you you, you and you don't have to tell your customers that you're going to use a gator piss. Gator piss is you go ahead, go get yourself a jar of gator piss, get ten percent off with the promo code full blast or WFI project. What is it? What is the promo code for you work guys? Work for it, man. It's 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 promo code work for it. Promo code work for it. You get that gator piss, you get ten percent off, and just don't tell your customers because they don't need to know. They don't need to know everything. <laughs> so get yourself some of that bigger forging tool and without any further ado, my host, my host, Brian Cohn's here. What's going on, Brian? Oh man, it's it's awesome to have you in here. First of all, there would be no WFII two, what whatever the hell we're calling it now. The work for interviews would not be around if there wasn't full blast because I've taken a lot of inspiration from you. So it's awesome to have you sitting here with me. Well, you're a knife maker. Knife makers are thieves. So I don't. Oh, know of course, it's that. it's everything. That doesn't man. surprise me whatsoever. No, honestly. <laughs> listen, I got to tell you, Brian. I am I am I am uh, I don't go on a lot of podcasts because I usually think. Everybody needs to put their reps in before it gets any good, and and I've been following what you've been doing ever since Brian pulled you on, and I've been a fan <laughs> of yours. And anything oh I can do to help you, I'm fucking with you, my man. I'm not fucking with you. I'm with you. Oh, I'm, I get you. I get you, man. I, it really it humbles me to hear that, and I I love that. Thank you so much. Well, here's the thing: podcasting and knife. Here's the funny thing about podcasting and knife making. They're very very similar in mm -hmm. the intention. 
And the intention is, is you, you find something that you like and you just want to do it. The problem is, is you got to put the reps in. So when you put the reps in, you get better every time you listen, you know, for your knife maker, you know, their first 10, the first one you do, you're going to be pumped about, but then, you know, a number of months later, you're going to be like, that one sucks. And then you need to put a hundred and hundreds and right. hundreds and hundreds and before you feel good about it. The same with podcasting. Like I get invited on these podcasts and like, you know, a guy will, you know, start his own podcast. And then two, two, I had a one guy, this guy, I'm like, I'm going to be vague. He didn't <laughs> even start his podcast. He, 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 he hadn't even done it at all. Oh, and he, he, he wanted me to come on his podcast. It didn't even exist. And I said, my man, you got to put in 100, 200 episodes before I even think about it because they're going to, you know, you know, waste a show with the bullshit. So I, I appreciate how hard you work and you guys do a great job. Well, I think the reason why you're so discerning about it is because you grew up with talk radio, like listening to Howard Stern and yeah. the way that he interviews things. So, I mean, you are you are a self-proclaimed like stoop kid. You you stayed at home and you you listened to the radio to have like some something to listen to and like keep you company. So, my first question to you is how did the interview style of Howard Stern and his original show kind of shape and mold you into doing full blast and doing knife talk well this is very interesting because really it, there's there's a little there's a little cart before the horse too yeah of course so i was a latchkey kid i like stoop kid but i was a latchkey kid uh, latchkey well kid that's your, that's just what i've been hearing the stoop kid i don't know if maybe that's just kind of a modern term for it stupid is i think maybe you're just saying you were stupid which is fine i, I don't blame you for saying that about me i, I don't, hey, I don't no. mind that at all hey now. no i think the original was like you said on the stoop out in like new york city on all those you know oh. iconic stoops yeah we did a little bit of that but i mean so the last the idea of the last kid is a lot like during generation x there was a, a huge amount of like divorce rate was like through the roof all right and my parents we lived in new york city and to the point where in my class there's only one kid whose parents weren't divorced and we would surround him like a like a like looking like at a zoo at this weird exotic animal we were asking what is it like to have your parents be married so my parents were, they were both working and I was home alone a lot. And as I got older, I was home all the time by myself. And I felt in the early days, and I was sometimes, I mean, nowadays, I would, I mean, the thought of how, I mean, I was very young, very young. I was in like third grade when I was at home by myself, fourth grade. Oh, Jesus. When I was by myself. <laughs> so like I would be home in this apartment, this quiet apartment, scared, you know, and you, you hear the. You hear the ambulances driving by and, you you know, there's nobody there and you can't really don't really go to see your neighbors. And I felt alone and I would turn the radio on. And I would listen to Scott Shannon. I would listen to sports radio. I would listen to talk radio. And I felt as though I was being kept company. And that that even and they weren't scolding me. They weren't a parent telling me what to do. They weren't telling me to clean right, my room right. or do the dishes. They were just there with me. And I, and I always took that on. And when I had my first studio in um, 1996, I would be alone the whole time and I'd see my girlfriend who's now my wife and I would see, I would, I wouldn't see another person and I would listen to talk radio, I'd listen to Howard Stern, listen to all these guys. And, and what it became was something like, I saw it more as in like, I'm being kept company. So now bring back to, so 12 years ago, my good friend, Nico Tavernisi, set photographer to the stars he and I were talking, and he had, a, he had an awesome voice. He's a good friend of mine, great friend of my awesome voice. And I said mm -hmm. to him, like, you know what? He was big into technology at the time, too, yeah, still to this day. I said, you know what would be fun is if you and I, we'd have these funny conversations, and he was hilarious. And I would say, you know what would be fun if we did a podcast? 
because that was the early days 12 years ago 15 years ago was when you know joe rogan came on and sure there was a few other podcasts but it wasn't and it was easy it wasn't that hard to do but so uh nico and i started the downward spiral about 12 years ago and we did a lot of episodes i really felt as though i'm not going to tell you what to say you don't tell me what to say we're going to try to like have a conversation and the first we did probably three years we did like over 200 episodes and they were bad like they were really bad <laughs> well were, you, you said earlier that you have to do a couple hundred of them just to get in the flow of things the hard part is is you have to the hard part is and a lot of podcasters don't do it, is they don't listen back and mm. they don't self-critique and they just keep rolling and they keep doing the same bullshit that they've always done so i really i like doing it and then what happened was um Jesse Savage and I were good friends and he said to me he sent me a message saying hey there's this show called Knife Talk and this this English guy is interviewing people and that's I guess at the time so I looked it up and it was Craig Lockwood was doing Knife Talk and he had only interviewed Walter Sorrells and Alex Steele so I started I listened to it I thought he was good he did a good job he had a BBC voice he was very professional it sounded really good um and i sent him a message say hey, i really like your podcast and he goes oh awesome you want to come on and i was like yeah, fuck yeah i do <laughs> i already done like i already done um you know 200 podcast episodes i kind of knew my voice sure. i mean it was a bit of a ripoff of don imus a little bit of a ripoff of howard stern a little bit of a ripoff of opie and anthony and you know I, we started in and i was like i had an idea of what we we're gonna do and then he had me come back on to interview him because he interviewed all these guys but he wanted me to interview him Right. And then we had, um, then then he made the decision. Maybe we should have, you know, the three of us. You know, he brought Mareko Mamasian, and then we've been doing it now, yeah. solid five years. Solid so, five years. So sure. I had always wanted to do my own. Sh I know we don't give each other the one of the pot with the rule, not a rule, but an unwritten rule is we don't give each other. Knife Talk is really a good show, and it's a good podcast because it's all three of our different perspectives. We have good chemistry. We have these moments. We have these weird moments that you know, a little bit very science, a little bit dick jokes. It's it's very like it, it it all works out as a whole, and we don't really kind of fuck with the we don't fuck with the chemistry. Like no one's sending notes. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. In the beginning stages, there was a little bit of that, but then we kind of worked that all out. So what I wanted to do is I was kind of getting tired of talking about knives, and I always thought I could definitely do my own interview show. And during the pandemic, I pushed. Craig into you know the idea of maybe doing the you know a podcast for just for me and then we agreed to do it and he started the Makery Network and some people stayed like you guys some people I knew that people were going to walk and people walked and people a lot of people don't have the heart to you know keep going and it's just sure. not for them so back to the interview style I listened to so much Howard Stern that what I noticed about the way he interviews is the interesting thing is the stars that he gets are usually on press junkets. So mm -hmm. like, you know, a guy's going, he's, you know, he's got a movie to promote and he's going from Good Morning America to this, to that, the other thing. Right. And nowadays it all ends with that hot ones at the, at the very end. And it's, you know, it's these, these stars go through like a hundred different episodes or a hundred different interviews and you have to like try to step out and like be something a little bit better than the rest. Well, what do you think? Now that you're an interviewer, what do you think is the always happens with all these interviews? Like if you see, let's say you see Pedro Pascal on one show and then you know he's on another show the next day. Are you going to watch the, the next episode or the next interview? 
I mean, I, I, now that I've kind of gotten into interviewing, I have been watching a lot more interviews to try to like pick up little things. So yeah, I do, I do watch as much as possible, but I think, I think the key with interviews is I try to keep it on the person with, you know, it's so easy to, you know, hear an example from somebody and be like, oh, well, that reminds me of when I did this and then go on a big long tangent about what you did. And all of a sudden you've been talking for 15 minutes about yourself and we're supposed to be here learning about XYZ. Like I the just person. Did, like I just did 10 minutes. Well, that's fine because this is this is the Jeff Fader it's a interview. Long setup. So it's all about you, man. Well, but basically what I started to realize was how do you make an interview where they you have a, especially a long form interview. Mm. How do you make it more how do you make it different than everybody else? What you don't do is you don't give tell somebody, give me your elevator pitch. Right, then right. Everyone's going to say the same goddamn thing all the time. And I started to notice that Howard Stern used to lead questions on by saying, you've done this and it makes me feel like this. Am I right? Like he would, he would put this person in, a, in, in the way he would feel about it. And then he would allow the interviewee to um, say, well, kind of like that, or that makes a lot of sense, or you're, you're changing the way that they do a, a show. Like, so what, I, so here's an example. So I was interviewed a few times before Knife Talk, and it was like, both fucking interviews was the exact same show. I mean, yeah. I was just like, and I, got, and I got bored. I got bored saying the same goddamn things over and over again. So what I, what I felt the most important thing to do is for interviewing is knowing as much as possible about this person so i can mm -hmm. instead of you telling me so what do you do i once was on a podcast where a guy says to me i've never heard of you before um let me look at your instagram like oh i'm the God. goddamn thing <laughs> and, and 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 it's 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 it, the when you start to like create a relationship with your interviewee you know a lot about them and what happens is is they unconsciously feel like you care right and that you know a lot and then makes them more comfortable and if you can make your interviewee more comfortable then they'll they're they'll tend to say something that they haven't said before so sure, that was what but I, that's what makes this interview so difficult because you've been podcasting for five years so most people know a lot or anybody who's listened to you for that long knows a lot about you so to try to come up with little interesting tidbits that nobody's ever heard of it's impossible no but the, but that doesn't matter the, the sure. tidbits aren't isn't what matters what matters is that this is a this is an experience that people are enjoying you know like it's I, we're keeping these people fucking these fucking people right, we're keeping right. them company so you they don't need to need to know something different we just have to say something in a more nuanced way that we've said before Sure. And that's really what it comes down to. Podcasting is like, and half these, and I, you know, I, I make a lot of jokes. I call other podcasts flea bags. I mean, in the maker community, it is true because a lot of times, a lot of times we'll get a microphone, people get a microphone and then they'll figure out how to propose. And that what they'll do is they just want to hear them. My dad used to say to me, you talk as you want to hear yourself. You want to see right. what you sound like. And that's usually what happens. And they don't have a game plan. And then all of a sudden they don't realize that you have to figure out a way to make a conversation, an enjoyable experience for the listener. So that to me is what Howard Stern did. He made interviews where people would always say, I've never said something like that, or I've never heard it like that, or I've never been, you know, I've never thought about it that way. And then you end up with these really interesting, unique stories. You might have known the story, but I mean, he'll maybe somebody will tell it away that makes it you're captivating the audience, and that's kind of where I really felt that the long the answer to your long question is is, <laughs> is the idea of 
how do you create an audio experience that is actually not boring and it's not repetitive and you're not saying a lot of cliches and you're not saying the things you want to say and you're coming up with a refreshing new way of saying something that uh, people actually, you know, connect to. Right. And you have to you have to keep things fresh every to keep people listening, because like you said before, if you just keep regurgitating the same things over and over and over again, which maybe a little bit we we do some at the work for it podcast where we talk about our, our week for most of the show and then we have the same bits at the very end. I guess you are kind of the king of the bit. So my question is what I where what is the signica signicator that like it's time to retire this bit and bring on a new one. Like, well, is there like a calculation in your mind or you just, you know, you, you just have a feeling about it. The, the most for, 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 for knife talk and full blast is totally different. So what I do for knife talk is we, there's sameness is important too. Like people, when they used to listen to radio, and I listened to I've I've gotten back into sports radio. I listened to the sports radio show, the sports radio channel, and I and sure. I've gotten myself to listen from morning to night of this one channel because I'm listening to the different hosts. I'm listening to their um their chemistry, and I'm seeing how it, it just goes off all over time. And that to me is interesting. Broadcasting. I used to listen to everybody. I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh. I listened to uh, Sean Hannity. Listen to Imus. I listen to Mike and the Mad Dog. I listen to everybody to just see how it progresses. And one of the things that people like is they don't like change, so they do like a they like a familiarity. If we were just like free formed, free form the whole time, you wouldn't be able to kind of like understand what they expect. Right. So one of the things on back to what you were saying about uh, Maker Podcast, I hate the What Is You this past week because sure. it's like I mean one of the things I hate about it is you're arrogant enough to think that the person listening has already knows you, you, everything about you. You should really be thinking about every show as in this is an entry into this show, into this show. So every episode, she should be a way to figure out how to, you know, get people in, involved. And that's why full blast is they're generally their individual episodes. So like if somebody I'm interviewing's parent listens, they don't have to know any of the inside jokes. Sure. You know, but in regards to bits, I got to keep these fucking guys, Marekko and Craig, on their toes. Otherwise, they're going to go into saying the same goddamn thing over and over again. So I'm trying to figure out ways in which to get them to say something different. Because I'm completely, I'm completely trying to manipulate them to a certain degree. There's no dumb bones about it. And I'm also trying to have the listener, you know, the listeners interact with the show so we can say their names. And then they say their names and they get fired up and then they're more involved. So it's a delicate balance. I, I mean... That's the problem with fucking knife talk is the fact that you, we have to talk about knives every time. And then this is like, how do you do five years of weekly podcast with not saying the same all the time? Right, exactly. There you go. And I, it's I just, would do, a, you know what? I fucking don't like, I'm not a big Patreon guy, but if I were to do a Patreon, I would do a Patreon just for podcasters. And I would make them pay and I would teach them how to do a fucking show and then I would yell at them the whole time. <laughs> I would be their program manager from hell. I would totally berate podcasters left and right. I would give you my number and then you'd pay me and then I would just yell at you for a long time until you stop paying. You know, and I, I keep fucking calling you. I know it's kind of fun to say that type of thing, but I have a hard time believing that if you were in the teaching role, like for these people, that you wouldn't be able to, you know, put together a, you know, actual constructive criticism because you've done a lot of teaching in the past. 
you know, through all of the different things that you've done, you know, I've, I've talked to quite a few people who have taken your classes and, you know, just gush about how well it's, it's, you know, set up and executed. Everything's about organization. And I learned this later in life. Like I was not organized as a child. I did not have organized parents and, or if I had one organized parent that really didn't want to teach me about, you know, what you're supposed to do in life. And I realized you start to see that every time I would do something, and if I prepared for it, I would always do better. And it was just like, it got to the point where I was just like, well, that, I should keep doing that. And then if you look at the, the tenets of blacksmithing and forging, it's all organization. You, you, forging metal is something, you're taking something in your mind. And then you're figuring out the technique and the discipline to know the different steps in a very short amount of time. And then what you have at the end is a physical manifestation of the of your uncluttered or cluttered mind. So it it it, it to me everything came back to forging the the the, the ideas of discipline, the ideas of of technique, and figuring out well why can't I just apply it to everything? And then I started applying it to absolutely everything in my life. And now what it's led to me is, is if I'm completely organized and I'm completely organized with my guests or completely organized with Knife Talk, everything always goes better. The boys on Knife Talk don't have to lift a finger in terms of preparation. <laughs> I prep everything. I want them to have a good time. I want them to be relaxed. I want them to be able to be comfortable enough to laugh. I want them to be comfortable enough that they're not going to like stutter. What are we going to do now? And then it makes it more seamless, and then all of a sudden, it's a good show where there's this natural banter. Sure, sure. So you said that that was a lesson that you learned in your youth. So not in my th- youth, not in my youth. I mean, it well, took I me- know, but because of of what you learned, you know, you're disorganized, and then you looked back and you realized, like, oh shit, this this is not the way to be. Well, frankly, I was a very good looking kid. <laughs> Very good looking kid. I was I and and I skated on my good looks. I was I was a fucking good looking kid, Brian Cohn. And oh, yeah. and 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 I, and I was completely arrogant. And I was completely floating based on this thing. So I never had the opportunity to understand true failure because I was so goddamn good looking. I just got through life without this idea of needing any type of organization. Well, I mean it's just it's just one of those things that you you don't until you see it you don't realize that you need it. So talking about this, you know, this handsome Jeff Fader of, yeah. of Olden, you know, oh. what was that back in like the 20s or 30s? Or yeah, whatever yeah, it was. yeah, 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 the 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the 20s. So, <laughs> so I want to talk about was there ever what was the first thing that that Jeff Fader did that you you had an idea, you know, something in your mind like I want to make this thing. And then you actually were able to do that. And I know it must have been difficult because you were in New York City where you can't just like go to a friend's barn and have a workshop to work out of. Well, my father was a winemaker and he had a farm in uh, upstate New York, which is not really upstate New York. It's just like two hours from the city. So I was going there on the weekends. And when I was very young, like most kids of the 80s, I wanted toy guns. And my father said, there are no guns allowed here. He served World War II. He, sure. saw, his, he saw his enough guns and fighting that he was just like, we're not, we're not doing that. He said, but what I will do is I'll take you into the shop and I'll show you how to use the tools so that you could make your own toy guns. And then he showed me how to use a bandsaw when I was... I want to say seven, really when I wasn't supposed, seven or eight, when I really shouldn't have been. 
And then <laughs> I made a helicopters and I made toys and I made little robots and I made things to keep in my pocket. I remember making this little penguin that I would that on, on a skateboard and I just kept it in my, and I love the fact that I could keep it in my pocket and I walked around and I made my own toy that I could keep in my own pocket. And, I, and then I started making, you know, guns and I made a sniper rifle with like PVC piping and wires to the crosshairs. And my dad would show his hunter friends, all these guns and it got to the point that i was making that it got to the point where it wasn't even about the final outcome it was how do i get here mm. so i really enjoyed the idea of the problem solving of making things and then fast forward to going to college i thought i was going to be a painter stupidly enough the only when i was a freshman the only art class i could get into was a 3d design class in my mind i'm thinking this class is to show you how to draw three-dimensionally well it turned out to be a sculpture class and i walked in <laughs> and there were band saws and welders and stuff like that and i was just like oh where are we going to sit down to draw and like no no this is sculpture class so i got heavily back and then i'd spent my youth on the bandsaw no problem i'm going to you know transfer that you know bandsaw and table saw and all that shit over there problem is is all these these pussies in in, in in art school were too afraid to do any of the welding and so the line to get to the bandsaw was just too long and then my friend dan levine was welding on a mig welder he's making this sculpture and he says hey kid don't wait for glue to dry come over here i'll show you how to weld and then i was like i'm not waiting on line anymore and i stood right. there and i started to weld and then that's i kind of transferred over into metalworking so do you think that going to college and finding that aspect like where do you do you really think that going to college was such a huge thing in your life that you would be a totally different person if you didn't have that experience? I that's a great question. I don't think I would have been if I didn't go to college and take art classes, I would definitely not have been able to learn different tools and techniques and not the best techniques frankly i mean learning how to weld from an art teacher is some bullshit i mean i'm telling you <laughs> i've talked to some real welders and i'm just like bro i learned how to weld from an art teacher and they just roll their eyes i mean that's that's the that's the biggest you know banana in the tailpipe of all time i mean they are not they are not they're not there to you know show you how to do structural welding but they know they know how to make you glue gun everything together Sure. Um, I don't believe that I probably, if I didn't go to college, I don't believe I would have been in the situation that I'm in now. Um, and the, a lot of it was because I feel as though I learned more about what it is to be an artist and talk about being an artist and being able to describe your intentions. And that has been able to, that's a better way for me to communicate. And it's also a better way for me to kind of internalize the decisions that I make as a, you know, as someone who's making things. And I don't think I would have been able to be as articulate. I'm not articulate this minute, but I'm, I mean, I'm pretty, I can be <laughs> articulate when I need to be. So. Well, I guess that it really shows through because you've, you've done those sculptures, you've done those fish lures and all that fun stuff. Um, and I really see your intentionality in your your series of knives where you've had Neptune Sunrise and your latest one is, you know, just absolutely it, it's it's an evolution every single time. So I guess um, if it wasn't for that intentionality, um, I don't think that you're you, you would I, I'm trying to come up with a great question, of course, but, you know, it, it's. I'm I'm drawing a blank. I'm so no, sorry. I understand what you're saying. Listen, what 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 happened was when I started the, the knife making came later, much later. 
So I was already a metal worker, and then I became a blacksmith, and I worked for the Center for Metal Arts and uh, with my friend John Ledford, and I was a student of Ori Hoffey, and I was, did all that. And I didn't start, and we, so I was forging for like 10 years before I ever made a knife. We thought knife makers were dorks. I mean, literally, they were like LARPers and like Renaissance sure, sure, guys, sure. and we are just like, we don't want anything to do with it. So when I helped my friend, the lo- it, it, you were, you're talking about the logical progression between um, the intentionality of the work. Right. And the interesting thing is, is I've really become, you know, once I started the knife making, I was helping teach a bladesmithing class with Matt Paul. And I started to realize, I don't have to lift anything over 25 pounds anymore. And I can sell more <laughs> knives than I can sell sculpture. So let's, let's, let's lean into this. And I was fooling around, blah, 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 blah. And what I started to realize was, and I, and I, for a long time on Knife Talk, I said that knife making is an art, is not art. A knife right. is not art. And I got myself into nothing, nothing I can't get out of, nothing. Tr- I mean, it's trouble. It's not really trouble. It's like, it's the problem is, is most knife makers have been told by civilians that they're that they're artists and then all of a sudden yeah you know what fucking a right i am an artist i'm a sensitive artist and then when you start to say okay what kind of art do you do and they're just like so i really kind of made a very funny bit basically uh dismissing people's intentions of the fact that they're artists or not so what i tried to do is i tried to separate myself out in as a knife maker by using the uh, the the uh, the ideas and the evolutions I had as a sculptor with the knife making. So now what I do is I really kind of lean on the sculpture angle of like I'm going to make new work this year, and the, the idea for this year. So last year the idea we were going to just focus on this concept cosmic drift. It was a, it was a, it was a using color theory and stuff like that and making sets of knives and then we would have them to sell. So my business partner, Tony, and I were talking and we were just like, well, what should we do next year? And I said, I really want to use the ideas that I would as a sculptor if I were making all new work. It has to have a relationship. It has to be a departure. It can't be the same thing with a different handle. But there has to be some sort of like intellectual reasoning behind this set versus last set. So I really spent a lot of time using the things that I learned as an artist in order to kind of perpetuate fader knives into a different a different way of working than other knife makers do did that answer the so, question <laughs> well the question never really formed so yes you oh, okay. you did wonderfully Perfect. but i guess one of the things that i've noticed about you is that you are always on one side you want to evolve and make things you know structurally different with your knives like every single year you can't like you just said you can't just put out this slap some new handles on it and say it's a new knife um, your your shapes and your profiles are ever changing, which is beautiful. But what was the reason why you went from a full tang structure down to, or not down to, but you switch it over to a frame G10, like it's it's a, a hidden tang, but a frame style handle. So I love full tang knives. Went to culinary school. We use full tang knives, and to the point where our our teacher would say, "Don't bring in." those sushi knives we don't want to see them because they're a little too heavy in the front they're light in the back they're not going to help you with the it doesn't matter honestly he's just like he didn't like them he didn't want to see him using it he wanted us to start with full tang knives he you know whatever so when i was doing full tang knives i was having a much easier time a much easier time and i got a better result the result that i wanted from the knives that i was making so back you know i would fool around with hidden tang knives but it just seemed like I didn't have a lot of relationship with them. So over the mm-hmm. years, 
All my knives have always come from the same place. It's short, small evolutions. And every t I have every template I've ever made on my wall. There's hundreds of them. And everything comes from the same place. And I make small changes. And what happens is over the years, I'm always kind of dipping back into something. So hidden tang knives were always very interesting to me. But at the same time, there was a lot of parts about the construction that I found to be, there was a little bit too, there wasn't, a, you, it was hard to replicate. And a lot of it was the, you know, putting the hole in and you had to make these big blocks and then all of a sudden you have to take measurements when you're carving it away and you want to make sure that the knife is straight out of the handle and stuff like that. And I honestly, I felt like there was so much to it that was very like, it was too, too hard to do it on a, on a, on, on a, in batches, giant batches. Well, yeah, it's, it's very hard to do a production of, you know, traditional, you know, carve it away. And like you were just saying, yeah. It's only hard. It's only hard if you if you haven't figured out the best way to do it. Right. And when I was the last sculptures I was really making, I was doing a lot on a volume. I was really uh, trying to make batches of things, and I did a sixty carved and painted fishing lures that were identical, with the exception of there's some humanity involved there. So there might have been a little you know one finger yeah. one thing there and the other thing. So what I really over the past two years, I was I love G10. I love the sizing. I love the colors. I love everything about it. And I started to futz around about two years ago with the framed handle where you're not drilling a hole, but you're kind of making a slot. And then all of a sudden, you, the tang is the same size as the, the most, the, you know, the cutout slot. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, the, when you're gluing up, you don't have to worry about whether or not it's going in straight or not. It's going in straight because right, there's no other right. way for it to go. And then I really kind of wanted to lean on that. I did about five or six of them, and I was just like, whoa. I don't have to do any – there's no, like, wow, this one came out like a banana or this one's sticking out to the side. Or I didn't have to do any, you know, retrofitting to, you know, make the handle smaller or, you know, whatever. Like, And then it was, to me, became much more interesting as a production to how are we going to make the transition between the, the bolster and the and the Ricasso nice? Or how are we going to... So everything was about the construction in and of itself. And then all of a sudden, I was just like... And so we were probably, I would say, September this past year. I'm having a business meeting with my partner, Tony, and Allison, who works in the shop, who was awesome. And she works in the office. And we were saying, well, what are we going to do? And I was just like, you know what? I've been fooling around with Hidden Tang Knives. I want to make this these knives something that the last year's customers would want too. So it's not just a change handle, but let's just change the whole idea because I have full tang knife. It's a little bit more. It's a little bit more. You feel a little bit more on the heavy side. A hidden tang knife is going to be on the lighter side. We're going to change the blade. We're going to change the the kind of the profile of the handle. We're going to do something that I want to do, which is kind of similar, closer to a hammer handle than actually a knife handle. My mm -hmm. the kind of knife, the kind of hammer handles that I like, and it just became this like, it became this great um sequel or a new show that there was a similarity you can see where they've come from you can see that the, you know they're not completely uh, different that you wouldn't notice it and there's a relationship and they would fit together so that's really where that came from and it's been a lot of fun and the other thing is is you know this goddamn business has got to be fun if you don't if you're not finding it fun and you're not intentionally enjoying yourself then what the fuck are you doing? Unless you're making a million dollars, and trust me, if, you're <laughs> None not, if, your name ain't, if your name ain't Bob Kramer, no one's making a million dollars. You know, well, maybe, here's, maybe Josh like, Smith is. Who knows? You know, one of the things that Brian House talks about all the time is like there, there, 
are easier jobs out there. You can work for the man for 40 hours or you can work 80 hours for yourself or even more and still come up with the same amount of money. So like you said, you know, you really have to be passionate about this, this business to really be in it. For me, the most interesting part is it's always the efficiencies that you figure out. It's the, it's the, it's also one of the interesting, what I love about knife making is I know so many young knife makers who are like, oh, I'm never, I only want to make what I want to make and I'm not going to take <laughs> custom jobs and I refuse to do batch jobs because it's too boring for me. Oh, and it, it, to me, I fucking love the hard part. I like the, the stuff that sucks because if you can get through it, that's the best. And I remember the last big sculpture I did, last one that I really, really, really liked was a number of years ago, I was in a, I, I helped create this uh, postgraduate art critique club with some of, some of the best artists in, the, in, in my area by a mile. Like these guys are like world-class guys. And we would have these critiques at this museum and then the museum guy would say something. And then there was this sculptor who's a good friend of mine. His name's Emil Alzamora. And he is this incredible bronze caster. This guy's unbelievable. Like he, he can make the figure. It's just incredible what he does. And he made some flippant remark to me about like, you know, I just can make a few casts. I can just make a mold and then I can make 20 of these. And right. then I can, you know, and I was just like, oh, fuck you, Emil. I'm going to make, <laughs> I'm going to make 60 identical uh, lures. They're all going to be the same. I'm going to carve them the same. I'm going to paint them the same. And, and out of a fuck you to bronze casters, because it's like, you, because you say I can't do it. And I use a bandsaw and I would do, I got 60 pieces of wood ready to go. And I, and I did all the band, every step I did 60 times. So I bandsaw them together. Then I would spoke shave them together and I'd sand them together. And, and then when I got to the painting, I would paint one stroke of one paint stroke. I'd have to do that one stroke 60 times. Actually wow. I had to do it 120 times because there's both <laughs> sides and it, I, you go into madness, but once you get through it all, it's like, that wasn't so bad. And that was what allowed me to be able to do, you know, monster batch work, which 50 knives is not a big deal. 20 knives is not. A, now we're getting to the point now where 20 knives off the wrist, no big deal. Um, and it's made doing the reps and figuring out ways in which to be more uh, effective, but also enjoying the process and enjoying the fact that you're seeing results, even though it might be slow. That's the best part to right. me. That's better so than being done. I don't even fuck when they're done. I guess, have you always, like, you You really enjoy the suck of that and, like, the, the payoff at the end of, yeah, I just put my head down and I made that shit happen. Have you always been that way or is that something that's developed a little bit later in life? When I was at, there was, I was at two metal shops and um, when I was at the Center for Metal Arts, we were doing a ton of railings. The Center for Metal Arts wasn't just the Center for Metal Arts, it was also Fine Architectural Metalsmiths. And we were doing railings. We were doing railing, a lot of pool railings, a lot of railings in the houses, a lot of railings around pools. And we once had to do this giant railing of, you know, around this goddamn huge estate. And it was like, it was like, it wasn't a mile, but it was a, it was like ridiculous. So I had to forge over a thousand pickets, the same, the same. They had to be the same. And in the beginning, I was like, I'm never going to be done. And, and at, by the middle of it, I, I, would, I was having such a good time figuring out how to do this very complicated leaf in one heat that I was, to, when I was in the middle of it, after like maybe five straight days, I was like, I hope this never ends. Mm -hmm. Because I got into this flow state of how to be as efficient as possible and how can I make this leaf, you know, 
you make a point and then you neck the thing and then you with the with the fuller you you make the you make the leaf spring out and how do you make it look like an aspen leaf and it can't look like a crazy leaf it's got to look like a specific how do you do that and how do you do it in one heat and that became so much fun to the point where the last hundred pickets i was like it was like i don't want to go home like i don't right. want to i don't want this to ever end i want to do this for the rest of my life and there were other times where i would have to drill holes in pickets and i was sitting on the drill press for days and i enjoyed the flow of it i enjoyed the efficiency i enjoyed my mind was clear and it got to the point where i felt as though i don't i don't necessarily think that the next thing i'm going to do is is until intellectually stimulating as I'm doing what I'm doing now, like efficiently drilling holes in center where it's supposed to be and doing it. So I like, I like the idea of this is going to suck, but I'm going to do the best job I can. And some people are just starting to cut out for it. But at the same time, it's like when it's all done and you've figured it out and maybe you've made money and you're not bouncing checks and you're doing something right and you have a degree of discipline in your life, that has nothing better than that. Nothing better than that. And I really think that your your push for efficiency and your drive to efficiency is why that your business has been so successful. Um, like you had said before, you know, in in other shows, when you had left that metalworking shop and you decided like knife making is where it's at, um, you made a bunch and you sold and you you went to Hillary. It was like, hey, this is this is the money that you know. There is no there is no like you know you didn't want to be perceived as like somebody who's just flippantly, you know, going towards something because it's fun in the moment. You you had a you had it like all nailed down and you thought like basically you you wanted to be, you know, kind of official about it. So I guess why why is it that you need to or why is it that that is such a huge drive to you? Which part? The 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 um <laughs> it was another one where I just completely I tried all right, to all right. form a damn so, thing and it just so fell I right know, apart, swing and a miss. We know people, you know people, and I know people who talk a good game, right? And right. They, and you know they're never going to do what they say they're going to do, right? They'll say oh, I would do this and oh, I'm going to do that and I'm going to do, and they come up with these fucking flea bag harebrained ideas and you're just like you just know in your mind they ain't going to work and you're not as smart as you think you are. I never wanted to be the person that my wife thought I cannot trust this guy's judgment. Right. And because she'd already, we'd been together from college. She knew I was an art major. She knew when we, you know, she saw me hustle to have my first studio and I would hustle around to make sure I paid rent. I never missed rent. I never missed the bills and the obligations that I was supposed to. And I wanted her to know how serious I was. So when the knife making came around, it came around only because. I, I, I had a friend of mine was starting a contracting business and he, I was kind of miserable at my last metal shop. Um, just because it was like, it was just, it was one of these shops where the deadlines were crazy. I'd have to work weekends. It was everything about it was just like, it was sucking my life away from me. And this guy offered me an opportunity. And then, you know, I said, well, listen, I don't want to be paid under the table. I want this to be a certain way. And look, it didn't work out and it didn't work out. And I was too proud to go back to my old job, which I could have. And I was helping my friend with um, his shop. And then the knife making came up and I was like, I could do this, but I'm not going to go talk to my wife and say, you know, I'm going to be a knife maker now. Because then all of a sudden she's like, 
I'm going to be this now because I wasn't this before. That's some bullshit. And people think you're crazy. So I really kind of kept my mouth shut. And then I just gave her a wad of cash and say, guess what's happening now? I've been <laughs> making knives and I have a custom list of, you know, I got 10 people who are, have orders on the way. And, you know, this is better than doing nothing. And my kid, it, you know, needs a little bit and I need to be close to the house and I can make some money and blah, blah, blah. So to me, you hear people talk a good game and it's just like, I'm also almost 50. So like I've heard it all and it doesn't interest me anymore. And my, my, my interests I have now are far different than they were when I was 30. But one thing I want is I want, I want my wife to know and I want my daughter to know and I want my friends to know if they, if I say I'm going to do something, I fucking do it. And I don't give excuses for why it didn't work. And I take responsibility for every fucking thing that ha- that I- I'm involved in, probably to a fault, frankly, probably to a mental fault that I blame myself for absolutely everything. So speaking, there we speaking go. of your family and your business, um, you know, it, there's a, you take a lot of pride of like the fact that, you know, your daughter, you, you rose your daughter incredibly well, and now she is successful and she's, you know, about to go off to college and it's like that that's exactly like that's that's a big check in you know father of the year you know huge success on the other hand you have a successful knife making business that you've been able to you know hire on some people and be really you know basically forward pushing and making things better every single time and things have been going incredibly well do you see similarities in those two things where you know there's you know, raising up your kid and raising up your business? Well, there's a couple things. They're, I don't know if they're related, but there are, there are definitely, I mean, my intentions are, have been like the more organized I am, the better things go. Right. In regards to the business, when I first, you know, I moved into my first real shop, I felt the need that I need to make the, the push for this business. And I had a long conversation with my good friend, Tomer Botner, Florentine Kitchen Knives. He doesn't work weekends. And he said to me, Don, I don't want you, he said to me, I don't, you shouldn't work weekends. And I said, well, why not? He says, because you have a family and your family needs you. And he really, especially during the pandemic, I'm really made of conscious effort that I, I, I'm not going to be at the shop at the weekends. And I know a lot of people say, well, that must be nice. I try to be so efficient in the shop during the week that I have, I know exactly what needs to be done by the end of the week then I, I'm very efficient when I get here and everything's, everything's cool. Um, in regards to being a parent, the, I would say without question, that's the, the fucking best thing I've ever done. There's no question. And, and, and a lot of it's, I just talked to, I had Bree Pettis from, uh, from uh, Bantam Tools was on, and that was a good, on the next episode of, of Full Blast. And we were talking about the meaning of life. And I, felt, I feel as though i figured out the meaning of life in the past couple of years. And it really is leaving the world a better place. And it isn't just mm. like recycling and, you know, being a social media, a social justice warrior and <laughs> telling people what, telling people what you're do, what to do and how to live their lives and being a fucking guru. All PS, all you knife, all you podcasters who, who seem to think you want to be a guru. Nobody cares about <laughs> you being a guru. They don't want it. Trust me. Just do your thing. You know, just keep them company and stop being a guru. It's enough already. So for me, it was, it was about raising my kid in a position where I, my daughter, my wife and I wouldn't pass along the generational traumas to her. 
So she would, I mean, my wife and I are both raised and we're both like very self-conscious. We both have low opinions of ourselves and we didn't want that for our daughter. So we really made a, a conscious effort to, you know, not pass on the, the you know, the, the self-loathing that we both have to her. And now it's been like this particular year, senior year has been awesome. P pandemic, fuck the pandemic. Pandemic sucked for her. Yeah. And now she got into college early. She knew, she saw that my, my wife's in, in, in uh, she's a nurse practitioner. She sees how hard my wife works. She sees how hard I work. She sees the things that we, that how hard it is to get what you want unless you fucking organize yourself and do it. So she's been very much indoctrinated in being organized to the point where she applied early to a school. She got in early, which is outstanding. And then they mm -hmm. sent her a fucking giant merit scholarship, which I said to her, I want you to know that this merit scholarship represents you paid for this on your own merit. So I don't want anyone to take away from you what you did to get into the school for what all your hard work did and then being able to have this awesome merit scholarship. And now... She's having such a blast. She decided this year she was going to do three sports. She's been the captain of the swim team for three years, and she's been on the varsity swim team for six years. And she's seen the beginning to the end, and now she's, she decided in, in, the, in, the, in the early fall, she's like, I think I'm going to join the spring flag football team. And I was like, that sounds like fun. Hell yeah. So she, she, and, I, she and I, we got a football, and we started throwing the football around Thanksgiving. We watched YouTube videos on how to spiral the ball and how to throw it correctly. We watched, she and I watched football together. We would, I was the center, I was the center of my junior high school football team. So she started to get, you know, befriend the, the coach. And then the coach would say, we're having clinics early, you know, the first three months before the season starts to come to the clinic. She decided I'm going to go to every single goddamn clinic and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to watch. And they said, we're looking at positions. What do you want to do? And they said, does anybody want to be a center? She goes, I think my dad was a center. I'll raise my hand. She raised her hand. <laughs> she came home and watched as many YouTube videos on how to shotgun, um, yeah. how to shotgun um, snap the ball. She's When the tryouts came last week, she was the only one who could consistently shotgun the ball. And the coach was like, oh, you're on the fucking team. And now that she's going to be the starting center of the girls' flag football team. She never played football before, but she did track to get herself into conditioning. She, she manifested this all because she organized herself. She knew what she needed to do to get it done. And I'm like, I am father of the year, frankly. I fucking am <laughs> father of the year. No question about it. Let me tell you, shotgunning a, a football is incredibly hard, especially under pressure, because, you know, I was, I was a center as well in high school. So like that, you know, being able to get it accurately to the quarterback and also like get up and block the person in front of you, that's that's well, difficult shit. I couldn't do it. I would I would get yelled at by my coach because I couldn't do the shotgun. I couldn't figure <laughs> it out. And my kid has figured out how to get it. She she watched these videos and she puts her hand farther out than you think and then she mm -hmm. aims the ball differently. She doesn't know football, but she figured out how to do it and she got the mechanics down and I said, well, just whatever you're doing, keep doing that. And the co anytime the coach does a demo of a play, he just gets Lila to do the goddamn center. And so she's just like, I think I'm going to be the starting center. I'm like, it's unbelievable. But in flag, you don't have to do any blocking, so it's not um. as hard. But she's pumped. She's gonna go. They're gonna go uh, on Wednesday. They're gonna go. We have. There's an open. There's a, a scrimmage. All these girls teams, hosted by the New York Giants. 
Daniel what? Jones. Daniel Jones was there last year. Jesus. So I went. I was saying to my kid. So they said they said the Jets are going to be there this year. I'm like, oh my god, maybe Aaron Rodgers is going to be there. That's not going to happen. But <laughs> it was so cool, and she's just like she's super into it. And you know, it, it's the question is is like the idea of raising the idea of raising your kid better than you than when you got here. And it's the same fucking thing. It's and, and it's not. I don't need to be. Uh, I don't need to be. Uh, you know, saving the world. I just need to believe her more confident than I was when I was her age. And then she knows that she knows she knows the the tech the techniques in order to get it done. That's yeah, a and fucking long answer, Brian Cohn. It's fine. It's fine. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, how does how does that mindset like? Do you take parts of that mindset towards your business because you have your employees and you? I know you talk very extensively about making sure that they always have things to do and they they have they have the um, list of things that is I guess either never ending or they they already know what to do next. There's leading. A business this has become my version of sculpture like to me fader knives is the sculpture i'm enjoying working on now and being a leader has been fun and it's been hard and it's been hard because i well, i've gone out of my way to not micromanage people um or try to not micromanage people i trust people's judgment until i see that it, judgment is not good and i have to deal with it um it, the most important thing about this shop is that I'm organized enough that I know exactly what um, the people are doing. Like I have, we have a business meeting with the back office people and I know what, what's to be expected. The other thing is I work harder than any of them. And right. if something needs to be done, you can guarantee that I've had it done. Like we just did this newsletter for this. Uh, I had the pic Allison needed um, pictures and then a newsletter written and then uh, things done and measurements and everything like that. She needed it by, by Friday. I had it by Wednesday and she knows how hard I work and she knows that I don't just like fuck around. And that that's almost expected of her as well to the point where I don't have to even like, I don't have to like crack the whip on her. She happens to be outstanding. AZ happens to be outstanding. The, the the thing is, is to be organized enough to know, like I got this guy, uh, Tiger Claw Customs is in my shop. He's uh, David's here four days a week. I have to know exactly what he's going to do because I hated when I was an intern where the boss didn't know what to do and he'd say, go sweep up. I fucking right. hated that right. because it's such a waste of energy and time because there are things that need to be done. So like I have him four days a week. I usually spend the first day kind of figuring out what we're going to do. I have a game plan for each day and I have a game plan for the end of the week. And that's all in place. If I'm organized enough, then he's never just doing the busy work is bullshit. Like there are things that needs to be done and he needs to learn things and I teach him how to do things. And then I put him in these positions and I know what we're doing in the morning. I know what we're doing after lunch. I know what we're doing Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, thir Wednesday, Thursday, Friday once you're organized like that and you know what needs to be done, then you don't have these positions where this guy's like, you know, jerking off in the bathroom or, or, <laughs> or, 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 or brooming or brooming sure. or, so it's, it's all very, it's all very intellectually stimulating and I do like it. I, I'm much better when I have control over everything than have to depend on other people. But my crew's the best. I, David and Tony and Allison are, have been there. We're having a good time, and 
I want this business to grow because I want it, I want us all to prosper. I want us all to do well. And it's not just, you know, I'm not, you know, trust me, I'm not a millionaire. And, 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 but I want to bring American manufacturing to a point where we, in my business, my businesses, people are psyched to come to work every day. And so far, so good. Yeah, yeah, nice. For sure, for sure. So kind of switching gears a little bit, Go ahead. you know, you do a lot of, you know, big batch work and your cosmic drift is like the new big thing. Um, you've come out with the eight, eight and a quarter inch chef. You've, you're now coming out with the six and a half inch chopper. Um, obviously, you're going to have a full kitchen set in the works through that. And I'm, I'm sure you probably can't just talk about it because it's I a little bit I can talk about wraps. it. I, for you, I'll, I'll, I'll buy right. you, you. You want some breaking news? I'll give you some breaking yeah, news. Yeah, man. I want to I wanna hear what's the next, you know, where's the, the chef set going next? So Tony originally came up with the idea last year that we're going to do a set. And the idea was, the original idea was we really wanted to not have as much um, pre-order stuff. And we really focused on the last i mean since tony's been with me for seven years and we've been you know we take custom orders because it's like money in the bank right but at the same time it's like there there have been moments where we'll have you know the word the worst it ever was was we had a hundred orders a hundred knives that were paid for that i hadn't Damn. started and it was took me years to get down to by this january there was at the end of at the end of December, I only had three custom orders left to do. And it was awesome and it felt great. But at the same time, it was scary because all of a sudden it was just like, well, I don't have anything to fall back on. The we do the custom orders, but we've always tried to make stuff that you can do buy it now that people aren't waiting. Because it's like, let's face it, you know, I know people are Amazon once gives you a fucking prime. We want to do some prime. You know, I want to be able to do that too. Sure. So we came up with the idea of what can we do that's our offering outside of um, the customs that this is what you can expect. So we came up, Tony came up with the idea. We're going to do a set. We're going to do a seven piece set. Last year we did a seven piece set, I think. And then every few months we're going to um, have a new model that we're going to drop. And then what we'll do is we'll try to make some and have them for the drop. And then pre you can order them pre-order through the year if we run out. Um, and it was great. And it worked great. It worked really worked great. And we saw the numbers were different. Our numbers are great. And we also offered people the opportunity to buy uh, sets. But it would be almost like Knife of the Month Club. So if you bought a set in the beginning of the year, as they dropped, they would automatically get sent one. So I would have customers like being so excited because every month or so, a new knife would show up at their door. They loved it. And then right. it was it worked out great. So this year, we're going to do less knives. I think it's six. I'm not 100% sure. So we did a chef's knife. We did a small chopper, which I love, which is released today. I love it. It's, it's something I've been working on for a long time. We're going to do a, a pairing knife that's going to be different than the one we had before we're going to do a serrated knife that's slightly different it's no it's not slightly different it's different than the one we had uh, last year is it going to be offset serrated um or i mean if you got to keep that in wraps that's i'll fine. tell you we can go down offsets we can talk offsets rated so th there's an opera there's 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 a handle there's a way to mount the knife to the handle where you can you can get the same uh, cutting energy as an offset serrated. The whole reason why an offset serrated works is because you, you don't have as much um, knife blade 
that's like sticking to the, your bread. Right. So you're getting a little bit less, you're getting a less friction. Right. So there's also other ways to do it where you wouldn't have the same. The whole point of an, a bread knife that sucks is usually they're very long and thin and your, your fucking knuckles hit the board. Exactly. And it's yeah. dumb. But if you were to offset it so your knuckles clear, then then the night you're getting the same action. It's great. There are there is a way that I figured out years ago where you could do a not offset serrated knife that acts exactly like um, an offset serrated, but you're just kind of setting the handle off in a different way. Uh, it's a little bit higher, so your knuckles get the clearance. So okay. I'm going to do something like that, and then we're going to do a fork, I think. Um, another finesse-style fork. So, nice. And I, I'm trying to think about what I, Tony wants me to do. A, Tony wants me to do some forged shit, but I, I'm not 100% sure I want to. I'm, uh, we'll see. I want to do... I wanna, so it gives me the opportunity to do... I'm been, we've been doing... Um, at Christmas AZ, uh, Allison wanted me to do... We call it... Uh, she wanted me to have the Christmas uh, 12 Knives of Christmas. And I'm like, why are you calling it that? <laughs> and she goes, what do you do the 12 Knives of Christmas? And I said, you know what? It'll be Al- it'll be AZ's Christmas miracle if I get 12 Knives done in Christmas. <laughs> in Christmas. So we called it, so we decided to call it AZ's Christmas miracle. And I knocked out 12 Knives for Christmas to sell. And it was great. And now we're doing AZ's Christmas miracle all the time. And so every so often I'll do a couple of one-offs that we just throw on the website. And that's been a lot of fun too. So I'll do some more forge shit there. I'll do some more, uh, the Baker forge and tool steel, that stuff's, I mean, fucking. That's exactly what I was going to go. That's what I was going to talk about next is like, you're doing these one-offs and this latest one was the Baker forge and tool. And after you'd made that one, I'm sure it sold in an instance. And then he went and bought three more billets of Baker Fortune well, Tool. How awesome is it? Koi, Koi sent me a uh, billet um, a few years ago, and I just never got to it. And then right. when I was doing AZ's Christmas Fear Club, I was like, you know what? I got all this, all these one, every, sometimes people send me stuff. Let's try the Baker Forger Tool stuff. And what's the worst that can happen? Well, it was really easy to work with. And I did it. And it was maybe it was the billet. Maybe I said to Koi, I said, I got real lucky with this one. And he goes, well, what do you mean by that? As in like, as in like, what do you, what's wrong with my steel? I'm like, I, I was going to fuck it up is what I was saying is I didn't fuck it up. Um, so yeah, so we're going to do, we did a deal and he's did a little sponsorship and I bought some more and, and, uh, I got another one. I just finished last week that I haven't really kind of posted about just because, you know, we're going to launch the uh, choppers this week. So uh, yeah, I want to do more of that stuff. It's, it's fun material to work with and I want to do more forge stuff this year, but man, um, if I mean, as pretty as the first one came out, you have to be absolutely sitting on fire with that thing in a drawer somewhere. Because I mean, nah, it's well. Here's the funny thing, and you're a YouTuber too. I was yeah, talking to Bree Pettis, Bree Pettis, uh, Band of Tools, and he was talking about how he does some videos, and one, you know, the ones he thinks are going to be really good, they end up not being good, and then the ones that are not, <laughs> they're dumb, are the ones that do really well. Yep. And, and that's the same thing. That's the same thing with knives too. Like sometimes, like really expensive ones. Like I had, I won the uh, best Damascus. I won the uh, Damascus Steel Invitational. I won the best bread knife. Look, it hasn't sold yet, and and that's just the way it is. So really, you, you well, I mean, you know, that's a lot of money for a fucking bread knife. But that's true. at the same time, it's just like, yeah, guess what? It was a lot of work too. So what we try to do is we try. I would rather offer, you know, some high end stuff. But in my heart of hearts, I would rather have less expensive things. So we're trying to do. We're trying to feed both animals that way. And and um, it's the look. This has been. This is the best shape I've been in my life. 
Um, I'm, I'm mentally clear. I haven't had a drink. I had one glass of wine in the past two months. Right. And I'm slowly, slowly back on caffeine. I was off caffeine for two months. Uh, I'm I f- in shape. I feel great. You know, I feel like your current work setup is like the ideal because in knife making, there's highs and lows, especially when you're beginning, like where I'm at now, you know, there's periods where I get a bunch of sales and then there's periods where it's really low and you don't get a whole lot where you've set up this situation where you always have this flat line with the cosmic drift or the signature series where you're, you're always going to have cash infusions and there's never going to be like a, Oh my God, am I going to be able to pay the bills? But then every once in a while you have the ability to like, okay, well I want to make this and we'll call it, you know, AZ's miracle. And, you know, basically you can make what you want out of really cool shit. And, you know, you can kind of have fun in both directions. And I guess my question is, is that is that like was that a conscious thing was that something that you strove towards and now you're there or is that just how it fell together you got to think of yourself as always being on the treadmill and there's no destination but at the same time you just got to keep fucking moving and you have to plan things out sometimes there's good sometimes there's bad that's just the way to, i don't like high highs and low. there's people right. there they 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 want the high highs and they, and they hate the low lows i don't want either i know that if you have the high highs you're gonna have the low lows so i always say i want everything right down the middle so I, a lot of times somebody says what do you think how do you think it worked out and i said it's fine and i'm very nonplussed They're like well fine don't you think it was okay I'm like it's fine i would rather be right down the middle all the time than have these you know, manicky feelings of being super happy or being really glum. I mean, we there are times where, like, there were years years ago, there'd be these times where I'm like, I wonder if we're going to be able to pay. Because it's not just paying payroll. It's paying your insurance company. It's paying the accountant. It's paying the payroll company. It's paying tax, sales tax. It's a lot of hard work. And then there'd be times where I'm just like, maybe I shouldn't buy steel this week because I should make sure we're going to be able to you know, we won't bounce a check. And then all of a sudden you get an order for a nine piece set that sets you up for a month. You know, right. it's like, it's, 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 it becomes too, to think about that stuff. It just becomes too, it's too stressful to think about these things all the time. So I try to do is I try to be like, look, everything's gonna be fine. I don't spend a ton of money. I don't, I'm this shop is, I don't take days off. I mean, I take, I'm usually paperwork on Saturdays and Sundays or, doing planning out for the week it's not doing absolutely nothing and then the podcasts frankly the podcasts are a great cash infusion but also allow me to not have to i can make some money by not having to fucking work like a dog like i can have some intellectual you know pursuits that i enjoy even coming on your podcast i wouldn't i don't go on a lot of podcasts just because sometimes it's like I don't have the time and I don't have the energy and I, I'm, my time is better served, but you know, this kind of stuff also helps me in general. So speaking, I like of, it all, dude. I like it all. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of, you know, you're like, you just said your, your time is money and you know, we need to be rolling down this podcast. Frankly, you need to get back to work and you know, you need to get back at it. But before we go, I want to do a little bit because of course you're, you're the guy with all the bits. I wanted to come up with one real go quick. Ahead. So basically the idea behind this bit, so I'm calling it tough, tough takes. Tough so, takes. Okay. Yeah. And so it's going to be a competition between you and me okay. where I had Emily come up with three questions, one easy, one medium, one hard for each of us. And uh, basically I haven't read any of them. I'm going to read it out and you can either answer the question or lose a point. 
are we supposed to answer the question honestly or are we supposed to it's just supposed to be the most interesting way to answer it well that's that's a good question because one of the things and one of the reasons why i came up with this idea is through podcasting you know there's just some topics you don't really want to go towards because frankly you know people people don't need to hear about your politics or you right. don't need to I mean, there's just some some things that you just don't want to answer on a podcast because it's right. it's not good radio. Well, the problem with politics in, in is is unqualified people voicing their opinions on things they have really little education on and sure. or little or very little nuance on. And then it gets very much along the lines of it's just straight up, you know, repug repugnant narcissism that we care what you have to say. So that's the answer to that. So I usually stay away from politics only because, uh, you know, you can pretty much figure out my politics. It's not too hard. I'm from New York for Christ's sakes. <laughs> like, right. I mean, and, you know, you know, I was a Jewish guy from things... New York. I mean, it's not too hard to figure it out for Christ's sakes. Well, and, and part of the things, I think you said it before, there's nothing that I'm going to say that's going to change your mind and vice versa. Yeah. So like, why the hell are we yeah, talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, it's enough already. All right, I'm ready for these hot takes. I'm ready for these tough takes. Bring it to me. Okay, so um, I'm gonna go first just because you know it's it's whatever. You're, you're the guest. I don't want to put you on the spot for the. No, first it's fine. Time. So so the question's gonna come up, and then we're gonna have to have both our takes on the matter. Is that right? <laughs> sure. And honestly, I have no idea what the questions are. Okay. So this could be an absolute flop. Go ahead. No, All we'll right. Make it, so we'll make it good. Number one. Number one from Emily. The first question, which is supposed to be the easy one: What is your least favorite thing about your fiance? God damn it, Emily. <laughs> My least favorite. That's a good one. Go ahead. All right. So, I mean, shit. <laughs> Hopefully she's not listening. Probably will just to this part. Um, I would say that my least favorite thing about Emily is she has her her father's um, stubbornness. If she thinks that she's right about something, there ain't nothing I can do or say that is going to push her from that point. That's hard. But, you know, the other thing is she's very logical. So nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, she is right. And, you know, it is what it but is. Wouldn't wouldn't and just to kind of flip that over, because I know she's probably listening to this part. Isn't stubbornness also a good indication of someone's self-confidence? And ultimately, That's true. don't we want people to be self-confident? You're right, Jeff. This was a, a actually a backhanded compliment. You're right. That, right. She's she's very <laughs> Just trying to save she's, myself. She's here. a strong, confident person. It is, and that's nothing to be to not dislike. Sweet. All go. right. Well, I guess that was the first question. That was the first question. We figured it out. Let's go to Jeff's first question. Go ahead. All right. First question for Jeff is: If you had to get rid of one employee, who would it be? Why, why would you, why would you, they're my children. I would, I would, I would get, I would fire myself. Well, it's well, Sophie's choice here. Come how on, you fucking, man. How you fucking, they're all going to listen to this fucking thing. How can I, how does Emily think that I'm going to answer that question? Are you, are, is Emily out of her fucking mind? What the fuck, oh. Emily? I just helped you out here. I just helped you out here, Emily. I, I gave, I told your, your fiance's question his answer was horrible p.s and then i made it not so horrible and then you give me this which is my favorite child i would i would i would just close the company down and before i close before i threw anybody out hey man there, there's true. the option of not it's answering not the question that's right. not true that's not what i just said it's not true <laughs> don't worry about that everything's fine everyone's staying here emily 
What are you, HR, for Christ's sakes? Jesus. Jesus. All right, next Man, question. Man, I'm getting worried. The more and more I'm going into these things, nah, these, don't worry these about questions. That. Listen, listen, let me tell you something. I've been able to slip, slither my way out of almost anything anyone says or the things that I, I say myself, so don't worry about that. All right. Well, here's the next one. This was this is supposed to be like the medium. Like this is the the oh, maybe. I know that first one. What the hell? That was yeah, supposed to be easy. What jam the fuck? Us. Jam. Emily's yeah. jamming us. All right. For me, who is the most overrated knife maker? Come on, no. no you can't say <laughs> that. You can't do that. You can't name names. And I'll tell you why you can't name names. Because he always gets back to them. Anytime. Right, right. And I'll tell you. And here's how we're gonna do this story. I'm gonna tell you. This is how we do this bit. I'm going to, it reminds me that there was a guy that I enjoyed slapping around and I was very, on knife talk, I was very vague, sure. but not vague enough because he figured out that I was talking about him. And then I didn't apologize and I doubled down and then a couple months passed and I took a couple more shots at him knowing that he was listening. And then basically he was a knife collector and I said... He was saying, and he was a terrible cook, terrible cook, but he had all these really nice chef knives. And I, and he said to me, I'm thinking about getting this chef knife. What should I do? And I said, why don't you not spend your money on chef knives and take a fucking class because your food sucks. <laughs> and he didn't like that I said that. And I said on the podcast, and then he wrote me this message saying, what you said wasn't very nice. It was very funny, but it wasn't very nice. And, I, and all I wrote back was, you know that I'm right. You know that I'm right. So I tend to not want to hurt anyone's feelings. And I would just say, uh, you should just say me. And that would, that would, that no one's going to have their feelings hurt. All right. Well, while you're answering that, I've looked through the other ones. And honestly, I think this bit's dead. All right. Yeah. She must have really. I I fucking tried. Wait, just here. Wait, listen. Don't even, we don't have to answer the question. Let's hear the questions. Let's hear the questions and just say and just and, and rate how she how the question. Sure, goes. sure. Flip it, flip it. Love it. Um, the next one for you was going to be who was your least favorite guest on your podcast? Jesus Christ, Emily! Yeah, why, are you, why are you doing this? To, why these <laughs> questions are horrible because they oh. they're out there forever. I know, I love right? That she thought. I love that she thought that we were gonna honestly answer these. Well, the thing is, is like I told her, you know, well, these can't be like little, you know, cupcake questions. They oh, got to be cup, a little bit cup. biting because we're gonna, Christ. we're gonna Emily, try to either the you know, take the point or not take the point. There's no, she wants us answer. to burn the goddamn house down. I can't have to. <laughs> so the problem is, is like most of these knife makers are very, very sensitive, and yeah. they're very, they're. very 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 sensitive and we just can't i just can't get involved with saying something awful about someone sure the only time i say anything awful about someone is someone that i know can take a joke but it's always i always have to like get waiting for the dm and somebody and our fucking our fucking listeners are such rats that they'll go out of their way to tell people, I think he was talking about you. And then I'll get the, rep- and then I'll get the email and then I'll have to explain it. And then right. I'll have to, oh, and it's just too and much you know, energy. And you know, a joke, if you explain it, you know, point by point, the joke gets funnier, right? Well, you know, I, <laughs> no, it's, it's terrible. I, the only people I take real shots at are people that I know can handle. Like I like to take shots at Brian. Right. Brian House, I love taking shots at him. And, 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 and only because 
he's got my number. We're friends. We talk. He's my friend, and I have had him on, and he's my friend, and I think he can take it. I think sometimes. Oh yeah. Sometimes they go a little hard in the paint. I think I made a crack about his haircut and his glasses. I think, you know, frankly, it was. I think I was making a joke. Never mind. I think I was making a joke <laughs> about when they thought he was like uh when he when, there was that point where the Apollo Forge is going out and some people <laughs> some people said well, that he was a he was a he was a, a neo-Nazi because of the oven and all that the SS and all that. And right, I right. was talking to him on the phone. I said, this is terrible. I said, maybe you should consider getting a different haircut and glasses. <laughs> and, maybe, and maybe people won't think you look like a white Malcolm X. You know, oh, it's like, I, don't, I don't know if you how you tell it, but I love Brian. And he's an inspiration to all of us. So Sure. There you go. What's the next question? See, this they, is how we do this. See, I'm not, I don't even want to read the last two. I read them Fucking already. read them. They're all politics. They're, it's all about oh, politics. Well, politics who gives a yeah, shit. Yeah, right. We, we don't need that. Just to let you that. know, in terms of politics, I had the opportunity. Uh, years ago, I did this sculpture exhibit in um, in this very tawny town. Yeah, it was, that, it was that one out of guns. It was the, like, ribbon thing, right? No, no. That's, that's a different situation. This is gotcha. years ago. It was in Katona. I think it was Katona. No, Chappaqua, the, the hometown of Hillary and Bill Clinton. And they had this, uh, they were going to have a signing for her book. And the art curator said to me, would you like to meet um, Hillary Clinton? And I said, fucking no, absolutely not. <laughs> and she said, why not? He said, why not? He was shocked that I said that. And I said, why not? Because all these people are such scum. What the fuck am I going to do? Just wait in line right. for a signature from this woman that whatever? It's like, I'm not no interest in her, nor do I have any interest in her candidate. All these people are scum. I don't want to, why do I want to wait in line for scum? That doesn't make any sense. Right. But it was hilarious because the look on the person's, the curator was like bestowing me this opportunity to get a, a right. signed book from Hillary Clinton. Well, like fuck no i'm not gonna well here's the thing in her world that is like the end all be all oh my god because all the people that in that person's perspective all of the people that she interacts with or the person who interacts with is like oh my god i get to meet her holy cow i also had the opportunity to make a knife for trump and i was just like i don't want that either I don't want any of them. I don't want any. All y'all can go to hell. So it's like, sure. you know, it was just like, I don't, it, and it's just like, I have no interest, zero interest. So there you go. There's politics for you too, Emily. <laughs> I took care of it. Oh, B. Cohn, we took care of her questions. Just yeah, tell Emily we appreciate her, but she's got to be a little bit more sensitive to the fact that you have to answer to these questions and the people you're fucking talking about that ain't right either <laughs> well to be fair i kind of put her on the spot coming up with these questions yeah. so you know it is what it is it is she what did it a good is. job she made us we we worked the bit out ultimately though sure i did want to do a bit on knife talk where it's a uh, rant of the moment and Let's do we, it. and what i well we're not doing it i was oh, okay. going to do it on knife talk it was going to be like i have a topic and we have to, everyone has to have a very convincing rant that might be unnecessary. We have to figure that out. Morocco and Craig, sometimes they don't play along with these kinds of bits, but you know, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll see what we can do. Sure. Sure. Um, I guess my last kind of question that I had going is let's say in this sort of situation where, you know, for whatever reason, fader knives, you can no longer make knives if is there another thing like is there an avenue would you go back to sculpture or do you see something else that you could see yourself really getting into and enjoying every moment of it like you do like knives great question because i kind of screwed myself by naming fader knives fader knives and the reason is it would be very hard for me to sell this company 
without me being involved. Right. And that was always something when I had my business partner and we had a contract and we wrote everything up, we made the decision that this was going to be something that down the line, if it happens, we're going to you know pursue it. Um, I don't, I feel as though I could do a pile of things. I would love to get back into forging, do blacksmithing. If I had to, if I had to, had to, had to, I would go back into like building railings. I enjoyed architectural ironwork. Uh, of course I'd love to make sculpture. If I could just make sculpture all the time and that's what I would do. Um, there's a million things I could do. I, I at one point I thought I, at one point I thought I was going to really spend time learning how to make hammers. And then I was going to had this idea where I was going to forge a hammer and tongs and then make a knife with those hammer and tongs and sell the hammer, the tongs, and the knife as a complete yeah. set. But it's like, for fucking what? Why don't I just, I mean, Jesus H. Christ. And then you have to grow the tree to make I the mean, handle. And then like, you got you to gotta smelt the steel. At and... what point? When is enough enough? When yeah. is enough enough become? So there you go. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is a great way to outro this thing. So, when's Jeff, enough enough, become enough is enough. You said it. You you enough. said it right there. That's that's the all. end all be all. So, said Jeff Fader, perhaps you said too much. Maybe we did. Maybe we did. Man, I had a fantastic time sitting down with you. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll have to do this again someday. You're always welcome. You come on them. Um, you come on to full blast. We'll fuck around. We'll make that happen. All right, Jeff. Where the hell can people find you? Fader Knives on Instagram, uh, Fader Knives on Facebook, and uh, Twitter. Uh, there's, I'm on fucking Twitter. G Billy on Twitter. I do that. I don't know why I do that. <laughs> um, that's a different story altogether. And then uh, Fader Knives, get, get on the newsletter because our newsletters are funny. I, I write the newsletters, and uh, people like the newsletters. There's a Rodney Dangerfield quote in the, in the newsletter. So definitely the do best. that. FaderKnives.com. All right, man. Well, I again, I appreciate you, and I hope everybody listening has a fantastic working week. Let's get out of here. I'm with you. 